As we enter into Passion Week, uh, it has been my delight uh, to be part of this sermon series where we're looking at the prophets from Christmas to Easter and the, the promises that God gave his people that led to uh, the faithfulness of God resulting in the cross. And as I was thinking about the Passion Week and this passage that uh, we see in Isaiah 62, verses 10 through 12, the last three verses, you see God promising something about Zion, promising a messianic kingdom. And uh, when they read that, I'm guessing they thought all good, all fun, all victory. But when you compare it with Jesus being presented as the king in Jerusalem, I, I, in, in the end of, uh, of or the beginning of chapter 11, they're discussing moving towards Jerusalem of John chapter 11. And Thomas says to his fellow disciples, this is them going to be presenting God on, presenting Jesus on Palm Sunday, let us also go that we may die with him. There's a rally cry for you. Let's go die. The presentation in Jerusalem so far has not gone very well. And when they imagined these promises being fulfilled in Jerusalem receiving their Messiah the new Davidic king, I would imagine that the Jews thought this was going to be just exciting. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the palm branches and, and the, the Jewish people will be honored and it'll be just you know, vanquishing their enemies and everything. It never occurred to them that they would kill their king. The Palm Sunday is joyful and joyous, the king is here. The promises that come from scriptures are phenomenal. But it's also sad and discouraging to think that this is God's plan led Jesus, God's man, to the place where he was going to sacrifice his life and, and in his presentation deal with complete rejection. This is our king. Here comes King Jesus, and what does this promise mean for us today? What did it mean for them then in Isaiah 62, that this king was going to bring a kingdom? So if you're in Isaiah 62, verses 10 through 12, would you read with me as we read these three verses? Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway. Clear it of stones. Lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Here comes King Jesus. This promise is about the kingdom, this messianic kingdom that's coming, and the picture is of Zion not being cast off. What, we've looked at Isaiah this far and even the other uh, prophets, and we've seen that God has been judging 
and there is Assyria taking the north, and a Babylon is about to take the south, and they are going to lose Jerusalem. They're going to lose Zion. They're going to lose their hope. The promise was all the way back to Solomon that in this temple, if my people who are called by my name seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. But the temple is going to be gone. Jerusalem will be sacked. The king will not be on the throne. And in the midst of this looming, depressing message is an absolute promise for what's going to come. Palm Sunday, Passion Week, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This promise begins, and I want you to know this is the ending of three chapters that have tied up all of Isaiah into a package and, and, and reminded us of the promises of the past and what's been coming, and now he wants to leave what should be our response. See how faithful God is. We've seen again, God will do this, God will do this. Well, what are we supposed to do? And this is what partly our response as we come to the conclusion of Isaiah. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones. This is not a prophecy of of Jesus' return into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. This is a prophecy about the people of God coming to Zion, coming to the kingdom, and making a clear path for others to come also. Go through, go through the gates. What does that mean? Well, in Mark 1, verses 1 through 8, you see... John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord and preaching a message of repentance. And Isaiah 40, 1 through 11, does the same thing. We should, we, we're going to go through the gates and prepare the way for the people, and this preparing comes with preaching. What did John the Baptist do? Did he go with a sword and did he take ground? Did he, did he actually clear rocks from the road? No, he preached, he taught, he proclaimed. And what was this message? Repent of your sin. One is coming behind me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Repent. Turn from your sin. This is the time to come home. The king is arriving. And John baptized baptized with a baptism of repentance, but Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. When we prepare the way, when we go through the gates and prepare the way for other people. We build up the highway and clear it of stones. It's talking about making the way easy for people to pass. The same language of highway is used in chapter 11 of Isaiah. In fact, throughout, when it talks about build up, build up the highway, it's used different ways in Isaiah. And I would argue that three of these ways it's being used in this passage right now. The first way highway is used in Isaiah is facing the terror of occupation that's coming. This is the twisted path that the Israelites are on. And it's led them to judgment. That's the highway they're on right now. That's chapter 7, verse 3, and chapter 36, verse 2. The highway in chapter 19, verse 23 is used as the way to go and worship God. There is a highway where you can come and get on that highway and you can come into the presence of God. 
In chapters 33, verse 8, and 59, verse 7, highway is used as the broken and lost disposition unless God acts. So in one case, it talks about a highway that people are on presently where they're failing. In that case, it talks about a highway that there's only one hope for them. God needs to come onto that highway and save. And finally, the last two ways that highway is used in chapter 11, verse 16, chapter 35, verse 8, and chapter 49, verse 11, highway is used as a means by which people return to God. That God's people can get on a highway that gets them back to God. And in verse chapter 40, verse 3, a highway is used as how God comes to get his people who are lost in sin. So one is how we get home, and the other is how God comes on to where we are and saves us. And I would argue that the use of highway here, build up, build up the highway, this highway is the place where we come to worship God. This highway is the place where people return to God. And this is the highway where God has come and intersected people's lives and saved them. This promise is that there is going to be a highway, first for the Jews, First for these Israelites, this beleaguered nation that has lost its, all of its identity, it seems, as the people of God. And God is saying, no, I am not done calling you my people. I am making a promise that there's going to be a kingdom coming, a new Jerusalem, where I will reign, and it will be good, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. And I have created a highway, I've made a way where you can come worship me, and I've made a way that I will come find you, and I've made a way that you can come back to me. And I would argue, this, the argument of this sermon is that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way that we can go and worship God. Jesus is the way that God finds us on our path, and Jesus is the way that we come back to God. Amen. Build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Some, some versions would say banner. I don't know what you have on your, in your... Bible in front of you. But the signal, I want you to picture in China those signal fires, that one fire would be put on a mountaintop and it would alert people that are far off about some message, whether it's pending doom or celebration, that it is set up so high that people that are far away can see it. Lift up a signal over the people. So there's this group of people that are on a highway and they're returning to God and God is intersecting their lives and God is bringing them into the new Jerusalem and the command is for us to lift a signal up. Don't hide it under a bushel. Put it, sing it from the mountaintops. Our God saves. He has intersected my life and he has radically saved me and now I have a kingdom and a future where I am part of the promised people of God. This promise was made to the Israelites that their Jerusalem would come back and that they should make the way clear. They should make it so that people can get to the Lord. They should make it so that a signal is sent up and that people are preaching, declare the king's arrival. What was it like that day for those who declared Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Well, outside, a group gathered. They're coming for Passover and they're waving palm branches and they're, 
laying things out before the Lord. And right now, it looks like everything's awesome. Except the moment they get through the gates, the conflict starts. What level of conflict? People are trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. It's scary. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe some, knowing what was coming, might want to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I might be rejected too. Like Thomas said, maybe I'm going to die. Today, if you declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, not everyone's going to love you for it. Some people think that's antiquated now. That was something of the past that Jesus saves. The reality is, is that it is as necessary as ever for our country and our world to hear that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And we need to declare it from the mountaintops. If the church isn't preaching it, who will? Because the truth is this highway that we are building up and building up, and what does it mean to clear it of stones? I think that the church and Christians can sometimes get in the way of people getting to Christ. What are ways that we can get in the way of getting people to Christ? Hypocrisy. Not living what we preach. Not being honest about who we are. Not loving people. Not caring if they die and go to hell. That's not what clearing the path looks like. Clearing the path means that I've taken every possible thing out of the way that I can to get you to Jesus. For me as a pastor, it means lay your life bare, Todd, and let them see your flaws. Let them see that you're not their Savior, but Jesus is their Savior. Is that painful sometimes? Absolutely. I'd rather tell you I'm a great guy. The reality is, we have a Savior who will save you and me. And our job is to get out of the way so people can get to Jesus. Why is it that so many kids stop going to church and stop trusting Jesus? Because maybe a sermon has been preached at home. When we go to church, we fake. Honey, this is just the way I am. I can't change. Where's the salvation of Christ in that story? I'm just an angry man. I'm not going to get better. To clear the stones out of the way so that people can get to Christ is to walk authentically in our faith and to be changed. So that people can see that Jesus is our Savior and it's real. Declare the king's arrival. Lift up a signal over the peoples. Let the churches, let the people, let the gathering of God's people set up a banner. We are the Lord's. In him we've placed our hope. Wouldn't you join us? For the Jewish people, one day they will return into the new Jerusalem. And this is a promise of God providing the way. And I think it's in Christ and in Christ alone that that way will be provided for the Jewish people to return in the new Jerusalem. The king comes to save. In verse 11, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth 
Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Why is the Lord proclaiming to the end of the earth? What is that? Why is he proclaiming to the end of the earth first? He is telling the nations to release the Jewish people and send them home. May the nations know that these are my people and my promise is secure. I will not give up on my people even if they give up on me. The Lord himself has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Why else was he saying to the end of the earth? Just as Israel was humiliated in front of the nations because of God's holiness and his name, they will be saved in front of the nations. One day we will see God's promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to David ultimately be fulfilled in the new Jerusalem and the return of the Jewish people, his people. The third reason is why the proclamation goes to the ends of the earth is this is an invitation to the nations to seek this saving God in Zion. This is an invitation to all the nations to see the glory of God and to come meet this saving king who descended on Jerusalem to give his life for us. Behold, the Lord is proclaimed to the end of the earth Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Say to those who were, called themselves the people of God and were part of Jerusalem that God will keep his promises and the king will return. Not at all like anyone imagined. If I imagine that if I would have preached this and I was Jewish, and I would have had to probably be Jewish to be preaching this, before Jesus came, I would have preached, this is great news, everybody. There's coming a day when everything's going to be awesome and God's going to vindicate us and it's going to be, well, I can't say without pain and suffering because we're going to see the promise of pain and suffering on Friday. But I would probably downplay the pain and suffering and I probably would celebrate this promise that is in many regards, yet to come true. The kingdom of God came when Christ came. That is available to us, and we can share in that kingdom, but there is a time when Jesus will reign in Jerusalem, and we will be his people, and all things will be set right. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. In chapter 40, verse 10, this verse kind of mirrors that verse in chapter 40, verse 10 of Isaiah. There's one significant difference between the two verses. In chapter 40, verse 10, God talks about his sovereignty and power. He is going to come in sovereignty and power, and he's going to bring reward, and he's going to bring recompense. He's going to bring gifts. When Jesus comes, there will be gifts and there will be rewards for those who are part of it. In chapter 40, verse 10, that is by his power. In chapter 62, verse 11, it's centered on his salvation. Behold, your salvation comes. 
and His reward is with them. Salvation, His. It's a person. Jesus Christ will bring salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Salvation comes and His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. When Jesus comes and His salvation comes, He will bring gifts. And right now, we, have, we are experiencing those gifts as Christians to some degree, in part. What are some of those gifts? Well, we have the Holy Spirit. We have been adopted into His family. We have been grafted in. We are, have, go through life and our difficulties and our if we are walking with God, He turns all of them to glory. All of our struggles, all of our illnesses, all of our problems, if we are walking with Lord and we are called according to His purposes, He turns everything to good. We are more than victorious because of Christ. But you want to know what's above them all, I think? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That we have a an intimate relationship with God that was not available to anyone since Christ, since, since sin entered into the world. And when Christ came and when He died, when He came as the King, the gift that He could give us was a completely restored relationship with our Father. And a restored relationship with each other. Salvation. Beyond what they could have imagined before Christ. And what we experience now is just a down payment on what's to come. I can only imagine when King Jesus enters again into the new Jerusalem and hands out gifts. Will you be there? Are you on that highway? So many people come to church on Christmas and Easter and they think, well, you know, I get my little input from God and then I'll go live my life as if it never happened. And I want you to know, I want to raise a banner. I want to start a fire on a mountain. I want you to know that Jesus came, the King came to seek and to save that which is lost. And there's a yearning in it. He's longing for relationship with you and me. That's why He came. To redeem. His reward and his recompense is before him. The king will make his people holy. Look at verse 12. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. I think it's foreign to us sometimes when we think about Jerusalem as the center of where God blesses. Why is that? Why is Jerusalem so important to God? Because it's the place where he came in close contact with his people and made promises. A promise to King David. And the city of David is Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem was the place that they returned to celebrate Passover and the Feast of Booths. Jerusalem was where they would make their pilgrimage to return to the place where God met them. The place where God promised to return. And Jesus made his way on a colt into Jerusalem, the place of promise. 
and gave the ultimate sacrifice. And because of that, this restored relationship that we're talking about here is described in four ways. Holy people, redeemed of the Lord, sought out, a city not forsaken. Those are identity pieces. Those are, those are who they are. I tried to think of ways to express it. Got a little help from Jeannie as I was doing it. They shall be called the holy people. I think that's new belonging. Do you belong? In God, in Christ, you absolutely belong. Holiness is something that causes you to be set apart, set apart for something else. To me, I picture it as kind of like adoption that because of we take on the holiness that God gives us and we have a, a changed life, the problem that had existed until Jesus came the first time is that they could not live holy. They could not live right. And it led to an estranged relationship with God. But now Christ has provided a holiness that causes us to be set apart so we can come into God's presence with confidence. How can that be? I still sin. I struggle. This is an imputed holiness that causes belonging. There's a couple of movies I love and I can watch again and again. And one is Lincoln. I don't know if you like that movie that recently was put out by, I don't know who, who did it actually. But that movie, there's a scene where Lincoln's son runs in. They're, they're stringing out the Civil War and Lincoln's son runs in and crawls up on his daddy's lap. Like there isn't huge things going on in the world right now. And guess what Lincoln does? Get out, I've got no time for you, son. That's not what he does. And I think it's a picture of God that we have a separate doorway in Christ to come into his presence with confidence and belong. This is one of the gifts he gives us. They shall be called holy people. That means when you're running through the halls like Lincoln's son and making a mess, oh, that's his son. Don't mess with him. That's his daughter. Redeemed of the Lord. Paid for. Restored. I love stories of redemption, don't you? I love stories where things get fixed and things get changed. I, I am, love when marriages get saved. I love when kids forgive broken relationships with their parents. I love when fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and, and kids, I love seeing walls broken down and, and redemption comes. And it breaks my heart when we can't have that. In Christ is the ultimate redemption story. We are now known as redeemed of the Lord. That's your title. That means that King Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was promised, is providing a place where your story is completely redeemed. The stuff that we did that was sin will be paid for in Christ. The stuff that we did for by the power, did in the power of the Spirit will give glory to Christ. And right now, we are the redeemed of the Lord. New life. New belonging, new life. Sought out. I love that one. 
given the fact that at this point the Israelites are anything but sought out. I want you to picture World War II when they're taking the Jews and causing them to be sent out of town. Who is going to declare, I'm Jewish too? The last thing you'd want to be in Germany in the 1940s was Jewish. Well, I would argue the last thing you'd want to be in 586 B.C. in Jerusalem was Jewish. And God makes a promise that your title is going to be sought out. People will want to be with you. People will, the story will be so redeemed that people will look and say, what they have, I want. What do they have? What's our banner say? We have Jesus. And what you see, the love that you see, the forgiveness that you see, the restoration that you see, what causes people to be drawn to the church and drawn to God is God at work in us and His love and His kindness and His grace and His calling on our lives is evident to others. It's my prayer for us that we would so authentically love each other by this all men will know that we are His disciples, the love that we have for each other, that the world would say, I want what they have, and that we would not be slow in saying it's because of Jesus Christ that we love each other. I want that miracle. That's what Jesus, King Jesus, will ultimately do and is doing now. Sought out. A city not forsaken. At this point, this city, Jerusalem, in 586 B.C., and I know that we're not quite there in what is Isaiah's prophesying, but that's what he's prophesying towards, the sacking of the city. It looks like a wasteland. When the people finally returned 70 years later to Jerusalem and they built a temple, they wept, not for joy, because it was nothing like what it used to be. What happened with Jerusalem for the next 500 years was pretty awful. They were kicked around by other nations. And God says, a city not forsaken. How are they not forsaken? Well, go back with me to the day that Jesus enters the city. That day on Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's riding on a colt. And he's looking at the people that he came to save. And then he enters into what would be a week-long rejection of who he was. The people that he came to save, ultimately beating him and crushing him. And then we discover, going all the way back to Isaiah, and we'll read it on Friday night, that God the Father himself crushed him for us. A city not forsaken. A sacrifice by our King. Here comes King Jesus. You see Him? He loves you. He came for you. He's prepared a way for you to be in a right relationship with Him and with the Father. We celebrate Palm Sunday and begin Passion Week today. 
And I want you to know that King Jesus came in a way that no one imagined. No one saw it coming. There's not a scholar in the past that said, oh, I can see it. He's going to come and he's going to die for us. We're going to reject him. You know what Jesus' prayer was on the way to the cross? Forgive them. For they know not what they do. King Jesus came to save us. And God's promises, as we sang about, are so sure that he hasn't forgotten one of them. If it's spoken, he'll keep it. And there is a future for the Israelites because he made a promise to Abraham 4,000 years ago. What a mighty God we serve. As we move into Easter, I hope you take time to reflect. And the first question I'd ask you is, are you on the highway? Or are you just looking at the signal fire from the distance? Don't miss out. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And there is coming a day when we will return to the new Jerusalem and we, his people, will be restored completely. And I want you all there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a story you've written, a narrative that centers on your faithfulness, your love, your people, and what you've accomplished. As we enter into Holy Week, we are so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful that he resolved to go and save, even though it cost him his life. And I'm so thankful for the power of salvation that flows from him, that out of our rejection comes our salvation, and that we are now your people. You are our God. Thank you for Christ who's made all of that possible. In Jesus' name, amen.